Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. You are listening to Tennis Channel Live, the podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We've got the game, the names, and the insight you need to stay covered on all the courts. Hello and welcome to the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and settle in for another show with the best analysis, insight, and tennis entertainment featured on Tennis Channel Live. Well, several players past and present were able to chat with us this week, remotely of course, including one American who's gotten a lot done during this break from the tour. Madison Keys is currently ranked 13th in the world, and she joined TC Live to give everyone an update on her current status during the stoppage of play. She also reminisces about last year's triumph in Charleston at the Volvo Car Open and how she's staying active and entertaining on social media. It's Madison Keys on the TC Live podcast. Madison Keys, former U.S. Open finalist and current world number 13, back to TC Live. Maddie, it's great to see you. We know you're, you're at home in Orlando. Tell us how you've been passing the time during this quarantine and how much uh, tennis you've gotten to play. I have been trying to stay busy. I've been on lots of Zoom calls. <laughs> I feel like I'm a pro at Zoom now. Uh, I've been working out a lot, started hitting again, have a court that's pretty... Um, off on its own. So we've been able to hit some. So just patiently waiting till we can get back out uh, and compete. Maddie, I know everyone has been, you know, on Netflix or Amazon, whatever they are to find new shows. Any recommendations you can give us? Have you gotten into anything good? Uh, Well, we blew through Stranger Things. We have watched you. We watched Outer Banks. We need to find a new, new show. I think we're going to start Ozark soon, so I'll let you know how that is, too. There's been a lot of video game challenges where players have been playing the tennis video games against each other, different NBA challenges. Have you guys gotten into the whole video game thing? It's a, it's a deep hole. You jump in, it seems like you just can't get out. That's actually funny that you say that. I was in the Madrid um, virtual tennis tournament, and then... IMG put on a Mario tennis tournament as well. And since those basically back-to-back weekends, I have not touched video games, <laughs> probably because I'm really bad at it. It's nothing to do with the fact that I don't enjoy it. All right. So maybe you didn't have great success in video games, but someplace you did have tremendous success, which we're all thinking about the clay court season that we didn't have this year, was in Charleston last year. It was such a special week. Uh, t- talk us through it. How, how did that feel going through it? It felt amazing. I was definitely not expecting it. It was kind of coming at a time where I had a few tough losses back to back and um, barely got through my first round there and all of a sudden was in the final and holding the trophy. And Charleston's been such a special place for me. It's I've gone back, I think, every single year and to finally get a title there felt amazing. The other title that you had last year was an even bigger one on the hard courts in Cincinnati. And as I recall how that unfolded, you were in severe danger in that first match against Muguruza. I think you asked 
after the match, your, or maybe even during the match, your coach, if there was a direct flight home and you ended up fighting your way out of that match and, and winning the title, is it kind of liberating for you when you get through a close call like that to, to uh, play with house money the rest of the week? I think that actually happens more times than we think. I think you maybe start the tournament a little tight or putting a lot of expectations on yourself, and then you somehow get through a win and you weren't expecting it, and then you just really relax and let yourself play some good tennis. Uh, you certainly did that uh, in Cincinnati after that close call. Uh, Madison Keys joins us here on TC Live. Maddie, one of your causes that you've been so committed to the past couple of years has been kindness and mindfulness online and in, in social media. And you've got an important uh, initiative that you're dealing with this Friday. Tell folks about uh, hashtag Kindness Wednesday. I'm very excited about Kindness Wednesday. It's the first... Um, it's the first of many, hopefully for kindness wins. And it's really just taking a time to acknowledge someone in your life that you look up to or that, you know, personally who has done something for you or others that you think is incredibly kind and you want to acknowledge and essentially hype them up. I think a lot of times on social media, we only see negative and we only see the bad things. So I really wanted to dedicate a day to just posting positive things about people that we care about. That's beautiful, Maddie. And as you said, now during quarantine, we're all stuck on social media so much. I think this is uh, more powerful than ever. Um, sticking with social media, but changing the tone just a little bit, you, you put out a tweet recently about Bjorn's coffee-making ability. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about that? Because it has you sprinting down the stairs like Michelle Tanner, apparently. <laughs> I am not the best morning person, to say the least. <laughs> and he's much more of a morning person than I am. So um, it was just the other day. It, I think it took me like a solid 45 minutes to finally get out of bed. <laughs> but as soon as I heard the coffee grinder, <laughs> I pretty much popped right out of bed and headed right downstairs. So we've also seen some some tweets of you making some pretty elaborate recipes, it looks like anyway, in your kitchen. We know from the uh, home tour that you gave us a couple years ago on TC Live that you're a pretty accomplished home decorator. It seems like you're creating the Madison Keys brand to compete with Martha Stewart. I wonder if you maybe you want to lift up your computer and show us any new home decorating additions that you've added to the house <laughs> since the tour you gave last year. Oh, goodness. I don't even that, know. That, I lamp do behind, have... that lamp is a really snazzy lamp behind you. Yes, I have a snazzy lamp that's happening. And then I have a nice <laughs> picture behind me. Um, that's kind of it for down here right now. That's, Mostly a, nice fluffy just... that's a nice pillow or is that a, a dog yeah. behind you? No, this is a fluffy pillow that every male that comes into my house hates. And every girl is like, that's the best pillow I've ever seen. Um, so most of my new home things are plants. Maddie, have you uh, made any home gym adjustments during this quarantine time? You said you've been training. Do you have a little spot in the house? How have you been managing to do that? We've actually been really lucky to have really good weather. So we have some free weights, we have a spin bike, um, lots of bands, kettlebells. So we're getting creative. We're trying to be outside. It's starting to get really hot in Florida. So we're, uh, we're trying to stay outside, get extra sweaty and feel like we're really trying to stay fit. <laughs> 
Maddie, uh, it's great to see you. Great to hear that you're doing well uh, and that Bjorn is making the coffee. <laughs> Stay safe. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to seeing you back on the court really soon. Thanks, guys. From one American ranked in the top 20 to another, the TC Live podcast was delighted to be joined by world number 19, Allison Risk. She spoke with Brett Haber and Prakash Armitrage, her new family member through marriage, about getting ready to take the court again in the Women's UTR event in Florida. Risk also dives into her frustrations about the Olympics being moved and much, much more during this wide-ranging, highly entertaining discussion. We are pleased to welcome the current world number 19 Wimbledon quarterfinalist and longtime friend of the show, Allison Risk, joins us. She's already smiling and laughing. It's impossible not to smile and laugh when she's on the show. Allie, how are you? How have you been passing Aww. the quarantine? That's so nice. Thank you so much. Well, this is by far the highlight thus far. So, <laughs> then it's been um, a rough quarantine. <laughs> I've been waiting. I was like, when's this channel going to invite me on? Like, I'm sitting here at home <laughs> wondering for my invite. And, you know, I see everybody else coming on, but I haven't got the call. So here we are. Um, I'm so excited to be here. And um, obviously, I wish it was, you know, with different conditions upon us, but um, st still happy regardless. Ali, uh, first of all, your uh, nephew Jonah says hi, by the way. Uh, Just wanted to. That's what we're starting with, really? <laughs> Thanks, <me. laughs> Hi, Jonah. Listen, if, we, if, we, if we spent 2019, if we spent discussing your 2019, you would probably take up the whole three-hour show. So let me just focus on a couple of things. I, your wedding was one of the most special things that I had been to. How, how special was that to sort of come during the same time as your career year so far? Yeah, it's amazing. We're coming up on a year here. Um, you know, Steven's put up with me for all that time, which is really remarkable <laughs> on his part. But um, honestly, I think it was a big part, you know, you know that which is why I had success at Wimbledon is I think I was just so excited for the wedding. I was excited for what's to come. And um, it kind of took a little bit of pressure off me because all my attention was, you know, on the wedding and planning for it. And and getting excited for it. So, um, you know, I tell Steven he's got to marry me every year now. He already turned me down for this year. So we'll, we'll have to work on uh, 2021. <laughs> I, I want to ask you a little bit about the tennis. You were pretty exceptional all the way throughout the year in different patches, but the grass season was just something else. Um, was, it, was it really the wedding that was on your mind that sort of kept you in such good spirits, or is it just something that clicks when you, when you step onto the grass? In all seriousness, obviously the wedding, I think, you know, played a, played a role as well. But um, yeah, I think just um, in all seriousness, it was more, you know, maturity that just kind of hit me at the right time. And um, it was my 11th year on tour, which is really something uh, kind of crazy. But um, it took me all that time to kind of feel like, okay, like I can make a run here. I belong here. I know it sounds silly, but um, I just kind of matured a little bit later than a lot of my peers. And um, it's still a struggle to this day, I think, emotionally for me. I'm a very emotional person. Um, you know, I feel a lot of feelings. And so um, for me, that, that's my biggest, um, you know, obstacle. And it's something that I'm, I'm working on, you know, with professional help. So, um, you know, I'm just really grateful that it kind of unfolded when it did. And I was able to use the momentum and, you know, finished the year top 20, which was super exciting after my run, run to Wuhan. So um, it, it was honestly a dream year for me, 2019. And, um, you know, I was looking to, you know, keep it going 2020. And um, obviously we have, have a little bit of a stoppage here, but I'm, I'm so looking forward to, to beginning again. Uh, Ali, you've inspired so many people with your play. 
uh, one of the biggest things that inspires you, I know, is representing your country. You were so brilliant in Fed Cup, and even this year with your form that you've had, you were really one of the top names that everyone was looking at for the Olympics. Is it is it something that's a bit of a frustration for you? Has that entered your mind at all? Well, I'd be lying if I said I, you know, it didn't affect me a little bit because I had, you know, such high hope of representing the USA in, a, in the Olympics, which is something that if I had thought about that, you know, when I was a young kid, I would have, you know, I would have thought you were nuts. So it was something that was definitely, you know, on my mind. And I put myself in a great position to possibly, you know, have that honor. And so um, it was unfortunate that it got postponed. I think personally it was the correct decision. Um, so, you know, looking forward to 2021, again, we're, you know, starting kind of where we were um, at this point next year. So I'm still in a, in a great position and um, I'm just really looking forward to, to ha having that possibility for sure. We are joined by the 19th ranked player in the world and Prakash's cousin. Is it cousin in law? Is it cousin by, is it cousin once from, I don't know what the, can we get a chart on that or? I think we just go with sissy in law. Okay, you know? okay I, li that's I like that. that that's okay, good. all right, I'll take it. Whatever the title, uh, Ali, you are one of the four players who's getting back to work this weekend in the UTR Pro Match Series debut women's event. I know you saw the men's event uh, about 10 days ago on Tennis Channel. Uh, what are your thoughts on getting back on the court in a tournament environment in these new conditions? Having this to kind of gear up for has, you know, brought me some normalcy to the quarantine times. I've been able to train um, which, with my coach um, every day. The only thing that's been a little bit, you know, tough to do is the fitness aspect just because my gym has closed, USTA is closed down here. So I've been having to get a little creative. You know, my fitness trainer sends me some, uh, some interesting workouts. But um, honestly, I'm so excited, looking forward to it. It's a great group of girls. And I think, you know, we have pride on the line here. And um, we're all going to, you know, go out there and give it our best shot. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I watched every single set, second of the guys uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was just eating it up. I was, I, I had withdrawal on on Sunday when it was no longer <laughs> on. So um, for me to be able to be one of the competitors and participate in it is is really exciting for me. Ali, Stephen's done such a great job of getting these this sort of group together, and we saw some smack talk between the guys. I just want to know between this group, who do you think is going to be able to sort of come on top with the smack talk? Now, let's be honest here, Allie. That's hilarious. Well, it's certainly not me, so don't be looking at me for that to take place. Um, but, and okay, if we're, uh, we're not kidding anyone here. Like, Danielle would be the best smack talker of this bunch, for sure. So, um, um, but also, she's a, she's a she's a great girl and, and very sweet. So I think she'd be considerate in her smack talking, but I think she would be very capable. <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Andy Roddick has become a staple on Tennis Channel Live over the past few weeks, always bringing the heat making his opinions known loud and clear. But did you know he also performed one of the greatest peacemaking feats in tennis history? 
Listen as Roddick explains how he broke the long-standing ice between John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors, along with some other thoughts on the greatest rivalries in tennis history. Here's Andy Roddick now on the TC Live podcast. Hey, Rod, I know you've been watching this countdown of all-time rivalries. Uh, which one or two uh, stand out to you? Uh, I'm going to start with a story. I, Matt Connors, I, I, I kind of like. And when, when Jimmy was coaching me in 2006, we were kind of casually walking down the locker room. It was the week before the tournament started, so no one's really there. It's kind of empty. Mac walks right by. They look at each other, keep walking by as if they've never seen each other in their entire <laughs> life. I kind of wait in the middle. Like, they each go five feet past me, and I say, you two. Like, you've shared a lot of memories. Can you at least acknowledge each other's presence, maybe? <laughs> and so they kind of, like, they kind of, like, roughly, like, shook hands, didn't really look at each other. I'm like, see, I go, I, and I won't even tell anyone. Uh, and so then, but the best part, the best part is, like, five days later, I'm, I think I played a match early, and I'm, I'm up in, like, the food court area, and you can see the practice courts, and there's, like, a crowd around the last practice court. I'm like, well, who, you know, kind of curious. You look over. Who is that? Mac and Jimmy were out there hitting balls with each other. Like, for the first, like how did we get from like ghosting each other to, to actually playing tennis together again? But it was pretty cool to see. But that's just a side tangent. Bravo. What did you ask? <laughs> it doesn't matter what we asked. That was a great story. <laughs> Andy, that's an amazing story. I, I almost was going to say, I thought you were too young to kind of understand the Mac Connors rivalry and so forth. But Anyway, let's talk a little bit about a rivalry you know very well. How about Roger Rafa? Obviously, big contrast in styles. Would love to have your take. Obviously, you've had shared some big moments against both of those players. What's your take on that rivalry? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems like our favorite rivalries, whether it's a Matt Connors, whether it's an Andre and Pete, whether it's a Martina and Chrissy, the, the, the obvious style differences and the way that people go about their processes uh, seem to translate, you know, personality differences, the way you dress, the differences, that all seems to make for a great rivalry. And with Roger and Rafa, it, it's maybe one of the best we've seen as far as just a general respect level while still wanting to rip the person's heads off, head off once you get on the court. And obviously we remember the dynamic matches in the, in the Wimbledon finals and, you know, everything that goes into it. And it's just been, uh, it's been, uh, it's been tough to be on the other side of those two, but it's been an absolute pleasure to, to kind of watch that progress. And, I feel like every time we see him in a big moment now, it's like, this could be the last time. And I feel like we've been saying that for five years. And obviously another incredible rivalry that we talk about is Pete and Andre. You were probably a youngster, probably looked up to both of these guys. Obviously that was when I was playing compelling matchup contrast and styles, also personalities completely different, but an underlying mutual respect there. What was your take on that rivalry? Uh, I, I thought it was fantastic. And, you know, I, I don't know that there was more electricity generated by a matchup when I was growing up uh, with Pete and Andre. And, you know, the hype was around Andre early. I think he finished number three in the world in 1988. And then this guy Sampras comes out of nowhere and kind of steals his U.S. Open for the first slam between them. And, uh, you know, it, it just the, the, the arcs of their career were so different, but yet they overlapped so often. Um, you know, and it, it was it was kind of fun to see them kind of take shots at each other. Also, <laughs> that also was entertaining for for all of us at home. And I was actually the first time I was a practice partner on a Davis Cup team. It was with Pete and Andre playing singles in L.A. And uh, I, I, I will say that uh, the, the Davis Cups of later generations with James, and Marty and I spent a lot more time together in the locker room. <laughs> than those two did that. 
I, I kind of sensed that you were giggling about the whole tipping thing that happened at the <laughs> exhibition at Indian Wells, but that's a, another story for another day. Um, we're joined by Andy Roddick, who joins us three times a week here on TC Live. We do want to talk about some of your greatest rivalries. We've put together a list of players that you played most often in your career. In addition to the guys on the screen, I counted 14 guys that you played 10 times or more, obviously Roger more than anybody. Andy, talk about a couple of these and... and I know the math isn't thrilling on Roger, but he, he certainly provided some of the great uh, moments uh, well, for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the obvious thing that stands out with uh, the, the, the Roger number there is that everyone knows that I was just getting my feet and I was just getting into it. I won our last match, and so I really felt like I had momentum on my side to turn that around. Uh, but then I decided to retire instead. Um, you know, it, it's just it, you, the thing about tennis is you, you see the same people. I, I think I started off one and six against Leighton and made like a late run. Those were brutal matches. You just knew that you're going to have to out execute them. Uh, and, and they all kind of lend themselves to uh, to different things. And I, I didn't know I played Tommy that much on tour. Uh, I look forward to losing to him weekly on the Invesco series tour. That's a lot of fun. Uh, he still thinks he's on tour. Um, you know, and the rest of the guys, you know, I see my buddies, Marty and James, but, uh, it, it's funny to kind of see the process of a rivalry. You start off, maybe you play them the first two or three times, something works, and then they figure you out. And it's this constant game of chess that happens over the course of, uh, of 10 years, 15 years. I will just say before Nolsey goes, uh, Robredo 11 and 0, Jurgen Melzer 10 and 0. So that's, those are your anti- Feds, Nolsey. Yeah, that's wow. right. That's right. 11, 11 and 0 against T Rob. That's pretty impressive. But Andy, we had a nice little uh, tweet from Uncle Tony about two players you know very well saying that they did not fear going up against Roger so much. They had a plan for Roger. It was going up against Novak that became very challenging. Maybe you could kind of let us in on what he's referring to there. Well, I wouldn't read too much into that. I think a lot of that is just matchup based. I, I think that. You know, Rafa's lefty forehand up and away from Roger when he gets out of his strike zone is is a pretty obvious route. Uh, and I would probably think that Roger would say the same thing. It's it's more clear cut where you're going to go against Rafa. He knows that he has to kind of be aggressive in the first two or three shots, whereas Novak, the pockets aren't as obvious. So I, I don't know that this is a, a, a drawdown from, um, you know, comparing Roger to, to Novak as far as players or who's better or anything else. I just think the way that Rafa's game style matches up, uh, there's a more obvious route to pain when he's playing Roger as opposed to Novak. The Davis Cup has featured some of the most iconic moments in tennis history, uniting players as teammates under their nation's flag with the common goal of tennis supremacy. On Tennis Channel Live, Brett Haber and Prakash Armitrage caught up with Swedish legend and seven-time Grand Slam champion Matt Wielander. They discussed his favorite memories playing in the tournament, including that epic six-and-a-half-hour match against John McEnroe in 1982. That's almost 400 minutes of playing tennis. Here now on the TC Live podcast is former world number one and tennis hall of famer, Mats Wielander. Mats, great to see you. I'm, I'm guessing if you're going to be quarantined, it's probably not the worst thing in the world to be quarantined in Idaho where, where you live and own a tennis club. How, how have you been doing and how's your family been doing? Yeah, thank you, Brett. Uh, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Prakash. Uh, we're doing well in Idaho. Um, obviously, we have a lot of space um, and we are allowed to go outside. I think the problem that we ran into in uh, here in Sun Valley, Idaho, is that we did not really have the hospital capabilities. We, I think we had one uh, intensive care unit bed when this whole thing hit and eventually got it up to three. So if you got sick with corona, 
in this county, you had to go to either Boise or Twin Falls. So, but in terms of space around you um, and social distancing, this is a good place. Matt, we've been talking a lot of Davis Cup today, and I know it means a little bit different to each country. What, is, what does Davis Cup mean uh, in Sweden? Uh, Davis Cup means um, everything in Sweden. Um, as a small country, uh, we were able to compete in, in a few sports around the world. Um, some of them was in different kinds of skiing. Of course, in ice hockey, we're, we are really good and, and we often uh, medal at Olympics and, and World Championships and then tennis. Um, and of course, we had Bjorn Borg, we had me and Stefan Edberg winning Grand Slams. But uh, even without the three of us, we were always able to be competitive in Davis Cup in, in tennis uh, because you only need two or three players, basically. Although we had at times six or seven players in the top 20 in the 80s and the 90s. So Davis Cup is where all my stories, which all my friends want to talk about. Uh, and the Davis Cup is basically the reason I started playing tennis. You, you picked up a few titles in the 80s in Davis Cup. Is there one title run that stands out to you, maybe a little bit more special than another? Yeah, in 1987, we beat uh, India in the finals in Gothenburg on clay. Um, your dad was part of that. Your uncle Anand was part of that. Uh, Ramesh Krishnan, of course, was part of that. I think Sashi Menon was part of that. And uh, so we won at home. And I have to tell you, uh, it was a great effort by you guys to get to the finals, but on clay in Sweden against me and Joachim Nyström and Henrik Sundström. And, and we were starting to celebrate pretty early in the week there, for <laughs> to, to bring the, the title in Sweden. So I think we might have started on Tuesday or Wednesday before the match just started. Don't tell your dad. Uh, I, listen, whenever he describes that, the weekend, he always says, we had the best time in the world, <laughs> except when we were on the tennis court. Yeah, yeah. we did. <laughs> I have to say, Davis Cup, Davis Cup really is the reason why I play tennis. Davis Cup is uh, what was shown on TV. It's how my dad got into tennis originally, uh, because obviously anything Sweden did, we would watch. Uh, it worries me that Davis Cup is played on a neutral site these days, because uh, um, as a sports fan, you would tune in to watch Sweden at home in any sport. But I hope that they get the Davis Cup situation organized because Davis Cup itself is a wonderful, um, wonderful event. And I would not be sitting here without it. Matt, you've been a part of some pretty spectacular, epic matches. But here talking about U.S. matches, which we are a lot today, one that comes up is certainly your 82 match against John. Over six hours, just absolutely insane. What was it like to be a part of that, especially at such a young age? Well, it was um, a little bit of an out-of-body experience. Of course, I had seen uh, John just lose in the Wimbledon final to Jimmy Connors. Um, of course, I had seen Bjorn Borg beat uh, John McEnroe on different surfaces at Wimbledon as well. Um, I think I came in with no confidence to win the match, but some idea of how Bjorn used to play John and how John kind of forced you to play him. I mean, he was on his racket and he was the one directing things. I think I got a first first look at, at, at John's determination to use a, a kinder word than the one that came to my mind first. Um, but uh, he was stretching the rules. He was stretching the rules. I think Arthur Ashe at times um, was having a hard time 
but uh, again, he won fair and square. And, and obviously, John is a good friend of mine. And one thing you cannot uh, ever overlook with John McEnroe is uh, his competitive uh, juice is unreal. And it's very hard to, uh, uh, to ever look beyond that, even though he's got hands made from I don't know who gave him those hands. <laughs> We, uh, we are joined on TC Live by Hall of Famer, seven-time major champion, Mats Wielander. Mats, you, you've got so much going on. You've got the tennis club. You have got Wielander on Veals. You have got the broadcasting that you do around the world. And now uh, we understand that you've got a new podcast, part of KickServe Radio. How, how did that come to pass? And uh, are you enjoying that platform? I am enjoying that very much. Yes, it came uh, into fruition. I ran into uh, Andy Zodin, who's the president of the Intermountain Tennis Conference. Of course, I live in Idaho. I've been traveling around uh, Idaho and Montana and Wyoming to different tennis tournaments with my one son, Carl. Um, I went to the Intermountain Tennis Conference in Denver. I wanted to introduce myself to all the local teaching tennis pros and college pros and high school pros and I wanted to tell them that I have a tennis club in in Haley, Idaho called Gravity Fitness and Tennis. I'm hoping that people want to come and visit this area which is Sun Valley, come and ski and whatnot and and uh, and, and Andy Zodin who's a great guy, great coach, he has his radio show and he said maybe we should do something and I, yes, I love it. I love anything uh, has to do with trying to promote tennis in the world globally uh, in Sweden. Now I'm in Idaho and um, tennis uh, here uh, needs to grow for sure. We got, they got a fantastic attitude in the Rocky Mountains towards a very competitive game such as tennis and being an individualistic sport. So uh, I love it. I love it. We have uh, a great shows coming up. We got a show, the next one I think, uh, I believe it's called 17 in Paris. We're going to talk about my win in 82 uh, and Michael Chang's win um, Johnny Levine, an all all American uh, college player, my from my era, is part of the show as well. Werewolves in London, we talk about Wimbledon, New York State of Mind. So very deep, Brett. You would enjoy it, Matt. I, I have a, a fond memory of you as well, uh, playing against you. You came as a captain with Thomas Johansson and Jonas Bjorkman to India. Talk about your experience shifting from a player. To a captain, you, you still had so many tremendous players on the Swedish team all through the years. Very different, Prakash. I mean, some players you really didn't have to say anything to. I remember the first tie I was the captain. Uh, Jonas Björkman uh, was playing singles, doubles, and then singles on Sunday, and we played uh, Gustavo Curtin and his uh, fellow Brazilians. Jonas, uh, he won the first day in five sets. He lost the doubles in five sets, and he was playing Guga. Uh, the following day, and uh, he was literally in the changeover asking me to tell him exactly what I thought he should be doing because he was too tired. I said, well, serve and volley on the first point, angle the volley over to Guga's backhand side. Second point, kick serve to Robin Serdeling, uh, who was crazy on the court. A brilliant, brilliant team player and Davis Cup player and a sense of humor that I've never experienced being a captain. Um, uh, which I know you might find strange, but just an unbelievably funny guy in the heat of the moment. So everyone very different. As many of you are aware, the women's game has a similar team event called the Fed Cup, which dates back to 1963 and has been an integral part of female tennis since its inception. In 2019, France was victorious in that tournament, 
due in no small part to the play of our next guest on the TC Live podcast, Caroline Garcia. Garcia joins Chanda Rubin and Brett Haber to discuss that incredible Fed Cup triumph, her training during the hiatus at the Nadal Academy in Mallorca, Spain, and the origins of her airplane celebration that has taken the game by storm. Caroline, it's great to see you. Uh, uh, fill us in on, on how this pandemic sort of unfolded for you. I know the last tournament you played was in your hometown of Lyon. Now you're at the Nadal Academy on Mallorca. Did you ever yeah. start traveling to Indian Wells or you stayed put? Actually, uh, no, I did not travel to Indian in January because I was staying for the final in the tournament of Lyon. And uh, I was due to travel on the Monday. And uh, Monday morning when my wake-up call uh, rings at 6.30 a.m., uh, I saw like everywhere, uh, everything is cancelled. Uh, do you take the flight? And I was like, what is going on? And then I said, okay, so there is no point to go for now. So I just stay in my bed a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caroline, you've been uh, training a bit at the Nadal Academy. Why did yeah. you choose there? And have, have you been feeling like things are getting a little bit back to normal for you? Yeah, so I came the first time like two years ago now, and then I came back in February after the U the Australian Open. And uh, I really like the atmosphere to practice. Uh, everything is on site. Uh, there is a lot of uh, young players uh, to practice with, and uh, it's very convenient and very quiet. And you, like, uh, normally, uh, most of the time, I used to train by myself, kind of, only with my dad and an eating partner. And uh, sometimes I was missing the intensity and the effort of other other player uh, practicing next to me and you know pushing kind of each other so that's what uh, I like about about this place also and uh, you can feel the Rafa spirit everywhere <laughs> <laughs> well one of the difficult parts about the last two and a half months is that players haven't been able to kind of maintain that routine with the training and with practicing have you been doing anything kind of new or different the first couple of months that you wouldn't have ordinarily been able to do if you were still traveling and playing? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, very different the last two months. That's uh, normally what we are supposed to do at this time of the year, for sure. Um, you know, I was quite uh, lucky to have uh, good uh, equipment to practice and uh, to, to, to work my cardio and uh, the academy provided me with a lot of weight and everything, so that was good for me. It really helped me. But uh, to come back to tennis, uh, you can see it's a very traumatic uh, sports on the on the shoulder, on the knees, and everything. And it's a bit tough. But uh, you know, uh, I think my fitness is here, and uh, I did all the best I could during the last two months. And now I just have to to be patient and wait uh, to see how things uh, go back to normal. Yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge is mentally trying to keep yourself in the right place. But you had a really great ending um, to the year. You won Fed Cup as part of the, the French team. You came through in the doubles with Kiki. How did that feel? How did that sort of help you as you came into the beginning of this year? Yeah, it, it really helped me a lot. It gave me a lot of confidence and to to be able to to lift a, a new trophy, it's always something very important for the confidence. And uh, it was a tough year for me last year. And uh, to finish strong like this with the team and to realize uh, one of my dream and to be able to share it with the French team, it really means a lot. And uh, it gave me motivation to go back to the practice court and uh, go back to training and mm. push myself and say, okay, that's that's the emotion I want to leave. And that's that's why I'm doing it, and he, he helped me a lot. 
What a great moment to watch you guys uh, clinch yeah. the cup last year. <laughs> We're joined by Caroline Garcia from uh, Spain at the Rafa Nadal Academy where she is training. Uh, Caroline, you had this amazing junior career and, and shortly after you turned pro, uh, Andy Murray saw you play, and I think you know where I'm going with this. Uh, he, he said, yeah, I do. <laughs> he, he said, geez, th this young woman is going to be number one in the world. Now, we know that Andy is a really nice guy, and he obviously meant that as a huge compliment to you. But in retrospect, did, did that put pressure on you that you didn't really need as, as a young woman? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it was really nice comment, and I was not expecting it at all. And But I was only 17, and I was like probably one... 150 in the world and um, my game um, my my um, my head was not ready for this kind of expectation I already had uh, expectation in France uh, to be a newcomer and everything but like everyone was looking at me after that and when she will uh, get in the top 100 and everything but I was uh, of course I played a great French Open and this year against Maria Sharpova but that was like kind of one tournament, very special. And then it was difficult for me to go back to normal tournament, like 25, 50 Ks. Mm. And uh, my tennis was not ready to play top 50 in the world yet. And everyone looking at me like, when is she going to be number one, you know? <laughs> and I was 17. And sometimes there is player at 17 who are more mature than others. But for me, it was a little bit too much. But uh, I guess it was also a good experience for, for now. You have been top five in the world in singles, but I'm curious what doubles means to you right now in your career because you've won a Grand Slam in doubles. You've won a Fed Cup clinching in doubles. You've played Olympic doubles. It doesn't get the attention that singles gets, but what, what does doubles mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, when I started to play doubles, uh, it was also because um, it gave you a lot of practice and it's very interesting for your singles when you are moving up at the ranking. You can work a lot of things and sometimes you get through draws a little bit easier than in singles. So it was good experience for my single uh, career. And then when I wanted to play doubles with Christina, our goal was to win a slam and to make it to the Masters in Singapore. And uh, we made it. We won a slam and we won the best for us, the French Open. Uh, it was a great experience, and uh, we played some amazing doubles in Fed Cup as well. And so it's it's very important for me. But after I had to choose between singles and doubles because to do always uh, both at very high level, uh, go find doubles, trying to go find singles, it, it's very difficult. It was very difficult for my body. Uh, so I had to choose, and now I'm more in single player, but I. I don't know if later I will not come back as for doubles as well. But uh, to, to win the slams was an amazing experience. Well, Caroline, you don't often show a lot of emotion on court while you're playing, but after your matches, your airplane celebration is pretty memorable. What does it mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Don't I show any emotion on court? <laughs> I feel not I a do. lot. Not a lot. <laughs> all right, all right. That's good. That's good. But uh, yeah, it all started in uh, 2014 in my first uh, Fed Cup. Uh, I was playing again US. Sorry, guys. You probably remember this one. <laughs> uh, but uh, so one of the member of the team, the physio, actually, 
and just said uh, I was coming from Bogota where I won my first title. So I was like a little bit uh, flying a little bit everywhere on court and I was super happy and everything. And he was just saying I was like a plane uh, during this week and he stayed a little bit like an inside joke in the team. And after my first match on the Saturday, I celebrated like this, but just for fun. And same on the Sunday. And then on the social media, uh, some fans created the hashtag #FlyWithCarol. <laughs> and um, I thought it was fun and it was a little bit different. So uh, I kept uh, doing it uh, for big matches or when I was feeling it. And I really like it. Fans like it. And on the side of the stories, the, the physio who kind of created this um, during the Olympics in 2016, uh, he unfortunately left us. So it's always a great memory for me. And uh, he was a very close person to me. We have to make sure that you get a, like an Air France sponsorship since you do so much yeah, for Air, we're right? Yeah, trying, but um, Not yet. we don't okay. really care about it. <laughs> All right, well, there's other airlines in the world. We'll, we'll see if we can uh, look into that for you. Yeah, The other, see, The other see. thing is uh, we're, we're a very dog-centric show. Chanda has a couple dogs. Prakash has a dog. Who, who's your dog? Introduce us to Vauchien. <laughs> so my little dog, uh, she's a girl. It's a Yorkshire, <laughs> and her name is Andy with an E. So not like Andy Murray. <laughs> Andy. And uh, yeah, she's 10 years old now. Uh, so yeah, we are trying to, to travel the most we can with her in Europe. When my mom is coming, it's uh, for sure uh, a little bit easier. And uh, yeah, she, she's very nice and she can stay in the hotel room, say nothing. So we are very glad to have her and uh, she's, she's very sweet. And I definitely miss her because I haven't seen her since two months. <laughs> Well, uh, I, we hope that you get reunited with Andy really soon. It's great yeah. to chat with you, and uh, thank you so much. Stay safe, and we'll see you back on court really soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. 2020 was supposed to be the much-deserved retirement tour for the greatest doubles team the sport has ever known. But unfortunately, with the current pandemic, that was not in the cards. Bob and Mike Bryan joined TC Live with Mark Knowles and Brett Haber to discuss, among other things, if their current retirement plans have been altered. They also reminisce about their favorite memories playing in the Davis Cup and in the Olympics and what it means to be so honored and respected among their peers on tour. It's the TC Live podcast with those chest-bumping, always-upbeat Brian Bros. 16 major titles as a team, Davis Cup champions, Olympic gold medals. Bob and Mike Bryan, welcome back to TC Live. And Mike, may I begin by congratulating you and Nadia on the birth of your son, Jake. Does he play the deuce or the ad? Thanks, Habs. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna get him in the in the ad court because Nosey's got the juice. Brody, Brody, knows about the juice. <laughs> nice boys, great to see you, Mike. Congrats to you and Nadia, Jake. Uh, you're posting pics all the time. I know he's got you completely wrapped. You got to be excited. Do we have any idea, lefty or righty? I think he's gonna be a righty. Unfortunately, I wish he had that uh, that lefty <laughs> slicer. But uh, I'm having a blast, man. It's it's the best. It's good to join. The father league. Uh, I know you're. It's brought immense joy to your life. So uh, I'm really pumped to finally do this thing at 42. I waited a little bit, but uh, yeah, now it's time to get the girl. We got the boy. Let's make it a mixed doubles team. <laughs> well, a little advice: getting off to a late start. Bobby's got three kids of his own: Michaela, Bobby Jr., and Richie. But you're gonna make Uncle Bob work a little, aren't you, Mike? He's actually taken off on me here. He's. Um, Right. He's going back to Florida in a couple of days, so he's uh, he's jumping ship. 
But uh, yeah, these these nights aren't the the smoothest nights, that's for sure. Um, Nadia's been getting the graveyard shift. I've been doing the mornings. Uh, just gotta keep this little guy alive. <laughs> Get him through the first couple of weeks. And last time we had you in the studios at Tennis Channel, obviously the big announcement uh, from you guys that this would be your last year on tour. Obviously, you could have never forecasted the events that have unfolded over the last couple of months. Any update on how things have shifted for you guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, we were really looking forward to, you know, Indian Wells, uh, Miami, playing those tournaments in the States, Houston, and then playing those Grand Slams one last time. Uh, we're not getting any younger, Nolsey, as you know. Just turned 42. So uh, but the bodies are feeling fresh. You know, we've had all this time off uh, just to relax, you know, reflect, spend time with our families. Um, you know, we've been on tour for over 20 years and we see our parents, you know, a couple days here and there. But, you know, we've had 10 weeks with them, uh, which has been a blessing. As far as the, the retirement, we don't know. I mean, we got to see what happens this summer. Uh, we're joined by Bob and Mike Bryan from uh, their homes in, uh, well, at least their parents' home in, in California. That's Mike uh, in the red and Bob in the white. Uh, guys, we're talking about your contributions to Team USA on the show today. Uh, the, I know the gold medal from London was, was a highlight of your career. I want to ask you about when you came back from London, because I think you, you set the new world record for most people touching a gold medal when it came home in the history of the Olympics. Yeah, I, I locked mine up in a safe, but Bob took his around in his racket bag, handing it to every fan. Um, it's not circular anymore. It's it's more like a, what would you say? Square. A square. <laughs> it's been dropped. It's scratched. And he actually tried to swap it out on me and take my mint condition gold. But yeah, he, he just had it. He's got good mojo. Um, he had it in his bag for a We actually went on a run because it was like the, the good luck charm. Yeah, I mean, look, we felt so happy after that win. Uh, and it really kind of carried into our games uh, for the next year and a half. Two years, we played our best tennis just because we were so happy. You know, down a break in the first set, what did it matter? You know, we had the gold and we felt like we reached the top of the mountain. So um, that's really when we had our best time of our career is post-gold. Because um, that feeling, you know, having that gold in our bag was was confidence, but it was also uh, just just joy for us. Well, Bob, first of all, thanks for carrying around that gold medal that summer, because my son Brody got, that's as close as he got to see a gold medal. I had five <laughs> Olympics and no medals, but uh, no worries, you know, getting back, to, getting back to the tennis, you know, every player wants to have the perfect send-off, obviously. You guys had a great send-off this year in Australia, down in Melbourne. Obviously, you guys have had so much success down there winning on numerous occasions, unfortunately at my expense on a few occasions as well, but maybe just let us know how much this meant to you in front of this great audience. You guys love playing down under there with Craig Tiley, the tournament director. Yeah, that was a, a real highlight of the year. Um, it was an amazing um, ceremony they gave to us. I mean, there's Michaela. there's Michaela crying and that was really cool. Um, I mean, we didn't play this year for the send-offs. We just wanted to have one last, um, competition enjoy, enjoy the tournament try to play our best but that was really cool um and that's our last time down under we had a really successful career down under winning um six times thanks for letting us win that one in the finals <laughs> um appreciate that but yeah that was that was cool um and, and if that's uh our last send-off who, who knows and obviously we're talking about the top 10 americans today how much you guys have meant to the game 
And one thing that comes to the forefront, obviously, is Davis Cup. You guys have done so much for Davis Cup. And take me back to 2003 when you guys were first inserted in. Tough assignment on the road in Slovakia up against some tough players. Roddick lost the opening tie. The, pivot, the doubles is always the most pivotal. Tell us how you were feeling that day. Yeah, well, there's the there's the 07 in Portland. That's up there with the gold medal as as our most fun time on a tennis court, um, doing it with the team. Yeah, Davis Cup for us was was everything. Um, it's it's the reason we we chose doubles. We felt like we could become a, a potential Davis Cup team uh, by being together. Uh, 03 was the first time we played. It was the year we won the French Open. Patrick McEnroe kept set, setting that carrot a little further away from us each time we were knocking on the door. Um, but eventually he wanted us to win a Grand Slam and be number one in the world. You know, with a four-man team, uh, any injury to Roddick or Blake or Fish, and Mike would have been out there playing singles. So uh, Patrick McEnroe didn't want to take that risk. So our first uh, taste was in Slovakia. I mean, we were jacked. Um, we were so excited for that match. We were so excited. Mike started cramping in the third set. And we were indoors on a clay court. Um, but the adrenaline running through his veins and how much we were bouncing around, Mike's, I don't know if it was his hamstring or his calf, started to twinge in the third set. And he actually whispered to me in the breaker. He's like, we have to get off this court in the next five minutes or we're done. And, you know, on that match point, I think Mike hit a return. And I, I ran in front of him and it hit a forehand. Um, Mike started cramping like he's really seized up. I hit a winner. We ended up chest bumping. Mike got off, you know, one inch off the ground. I almost, you know, with my <laughs> knee hit in the forehead. And that was actually the cup of tennis magazine. That shot. But um, yeah, and then from from then on, Patrick had confidence in us. You know, luckily we 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 had some amazing years. We played over 30 ties together. And those are the most memorable matches, um, you know, wins and losses, especially the losses. That's it for this week's edition of the TC Live podcast. And a special thanks to all of our guests and all the hardworking people, both on and behind the camera. And remember, you can listen to every episode of the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network, which is available on all your podcast platforms. Make sure to check out last week's episode with American tennis player Tommy Paul. And be on the lookout for another show next week with another very, very special guest. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on the court soon. Don't you worry. Have a happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody.